you're in for the long haul. And it's a, li- it's a life of working for issues that you care about, I think. Joan and I have both been at this for a long time, and it's going to take everybody to stay in yeah. environmental advocacy to yes. take care of this state. Welcome to Frontline Voices, a podcast by the Natural Resources Council of Maine. Brownie Carson was NRCM's executive director for 27 years, and Joan Welsh was deputy director for four years. In this episode, you'll hear from both of them. Their ties to NRCM aren't the only thing that they have in common. After working at NRCM, both Brownie and Joan went on to serve in the legislature. Joan as a representative for four terms from 2008 to 2016, and Brownie as a senator who's currently serving his second term. Coincidentally, or perhaps not, both of them have been co-chairs of the Environment and Natural Resources Committee at the State House. So the question is, what was it like to shift from advocating at the State House to being a legislator there? If you're curious too, you'll enjoy this one. Here's the episode. I'm curious to know if your expectations of the role of a legislator were kind of met by the reality. You had the perspective from your time at NRCM from the advocacy point of view, but once you got there, were there surprises? Yes, for me, there were. I had always, I'd been an advocate for abused women for many years and did a lot of lobbying for changes in laws. This was mostly in Colorado and nationally. And then, of course, at NRCM and otherwise, being an advocate in environmental issues. And um, it surprised me how, to me, it was a big role change. I knew what I thought were really important things, but I also knew I had to listen to all sides. I had to consider all sides. And after my first two years, then it became the LePage years. And so a lot of that was, okay, what realistically can we get? I know ideally what I would like to see happen, but I don't think we can get that through the whole legislature. It's all about compromise, which is what we talk about nationally right now, especially. And so there were disappointments for sure, but it changed me You know, I used to be so passionate, and I still was and still am, but I think the reality of what was in front of me and what could really happen versus you can push for the ideal, but it's probably then you lose the whole package. I think that was influenced probably by my being there so much in the LePage years. Right, right. It's very, it's energizing when people come together around a good idea and push for it and get it or you feel like you're going to get it. Sometimes, of course, we fall short. People would ask me during my first two years, how do you like it? And I said, I love the substance and the working on the issues, no matter how uh, difficult and challenging they are. What I don't like, and that was much more true, obviously, uh, during the 16 to 18 years, is when politics get in the way of good policy. Mm -hmm. I mean, we see that, obviously, every day now with the Trump administration getting, whether it's women's issues or people of color and civil rights or the environment. Um, And that, it's that brand of politics, the LePage-Trump brand of politics, that certainly has brought me up short. I would say to myself, I cannot believe, for instance, during my first two years on solar energy, I cannot believe that these folks don't understand the importance of reducing our use of fossil fuels and investing in and increasing our... And increasing our, the workforce. 
Yeah, and, yeah, and, and you can't, as they say, you can't export solar installer jobs, and we certainly spend, you know, we can export a lot, a lot of money as we buy fuel oil and propane. So it really takes time when you have a, a good but a tough idea and you face obstacles. You have to figure out how can you appeal to this group of people or how can you appeal to these, to these individuals, and then you have to meet them. There was a wonderful consultant who used to do work for the Maine Conservation Voters on whose board I served for a while. And his advice at the start of every every kind of working meeting was start where they are, That's meaning right. the legislators or the people you're trying to talk to, not where you That's are. That's right. And that's... Yes, but it's important. I agree. I agree. Yeah. The other thing that I really had to think about, we all do as legislators, to some degree as an advocate, but what are the unintended consequences? What are the things that when I was passionate about something, I didn't always think about what that might cause for other people, say, or, or maybe the economy, or maybe some aspect, a business, small business person. So you have to also pay attention to your constituents and what they're telling you. So nothing, nothing is ever simple. You think the best idea is the perfect solution and then someone comes in or calls you or, or emails you about how it would affect them. And you have to think about that. Now, a lot of times, the greater good overcomes the individual loss, perhaps. I think John makes a really good point. And there was, for me, very good training on this kind of issue at NRCM. I spent the last seven years of my career at NRCM fighting against Plum Creek's mm -hmm. massive proposed development at Moosehead Lake and small businesses who saw the cost. There would have been people clearly who'd have made money and, uh, and done very well had Plum Creek succeeded in, in its objectives of getting essentially a land use plan that would enable them to do whatever they wanted on the shores of Moosehead Lake. But there were lots of small businesses that NRCM reached out to. There was even a real estate agent. There were people who ran inns, who ran restaurants, who ran guiding businesses who, in essence, saw the risk of killing the goose that laid the golden egg, of making a, a mess of Moosehead and losing its character. And one of the strengths of NRCM is that we didn't always get it right, although I think pretty close, but taking into account what are the other interests. And it's exactly that kind of thing that you need to do in the legislature. Who do we need to, who do we need to bring in to make this a strong enough coalition so that we can we can get a majority, or in the case of a veto or, or other tougher issues, a, a two-thirds vote. And there were lots and lots of issues during LePage years because he cast so many vetoes. That, Brownie, is a really important aspect of a role of NGOs, non-government organizations, which NRCM is such a strong one, for legislators is because they can do some of that background work and bring testimony in that covers issues like, yes, this might hurt my business in the short term, but in the long term it's going to make us stronger and it's going to preserve the lake, which I as a business depend on, or some other situation. Now, legislators can do that to a certain degree, but I don't think we have the kind of time and always, and we don't have staff in the house. We don't yeah, have hardly little, any staff. Uh, highly competent, but very few. Very staff. few. Um, so that's where NRCM and the other organizations that are working on whatever issue, whether it's healthcare or anything else, they're critical to getting the right things to happen 
by making sure they cover those bases of who are the naysayers and how what work can happen to help them understand what the intent is of the good legislation and, and what the ramifications are and bring them along. And I think of Adam Lee mm, being a yeah. businessman and, you know, a, an auto dealer coming in and talking about the importance of climate change and lowering emissions. And so it's... it's and fuel economy standards knock the socks off of business people who say, oh, well, you know, this is going to only hurt us. Right. Yeah. Right. We had an interesting example this last session on the banning on plastic bags at retail sites. Which there. we had every session I was ever in, we had <laughs> plastic bag bill, finally. <laughs> <laughs> well, I think the stars were aligned, but yeah. it was very interesting because Sarah Lakeman of NRCM, and there were other organizations working on this as well, but Sarah really took the lead with a guy who's head of the main retail association, which represents you know grocers and Walmarts and, and all of those folks. And they were concerned because when the session opened, my recollection is that there were 21 different municipal ordinances related to plastic bags. So some towns had banned them, some towns you had to pay for them, some towns, I don't know, maybe you had to do five minutes with a hula hoop at the cash register before you got one. I mean, there were it was really, really different. And so the retailers came in and the grocers also came in and said, it would be really to our advantage to get one law, one ordinance, everybody agreed that plastic bags are a plague and people showed slides and you know brought in uh, photographs and, and examples of, I mean, everything from the Great Pacific Garbage Patch, which is largely made up of plastic, not so much bags, but micro beads and all that sort of stuff. And gradually, with a, quite a dramatic spread, and I'll bet you had it on your Environment Committee too, Joan, I mean, the, the spread from fairly far right through conservative to moderate to liberal to fairly far left. And you gotta bring those people together, if you can, because the more folks who coalesce around the majority report from the committee, it's very tough to get a unanimous yeah. vote, but the more people who coalesce, legislators who coalesce around a majority vote, the more momentum you carry into the, to the right. House and the Senate. And that's hugely important, because if the committee is bitterly split really hard, to get some through the legislature. Yeah, I think so much work needs to be done, not in the committee room, of getting producers together along with suppliers and consumers and try to build some kind of a coalition agreement anyway before you finalize the bill so you're able to change the language to make sure and then try and get a unanimous report. We were lucky the last term, maybe even before that, we had kind of a record number of unanimous votes. Now, they weren't all perfect. They were pretty watered down a lot of times, but we got a unanimous report, so they passed through and often under the hammer, which is what you really want. And if you have a governor who's going to veto something that he or she doesn't like, right. if you don't have close right. unanimous and carry that momentum, right. I mean, but we the, saw that, yeah. particularly on clean energy stuff during yeah. the LePage years. He just hated wind, hates solar, thinks it's... Yeah. I don't, I don't know what he thinks. But, but. we had one, one term where we had the most extreme right person practically in the Republican ranks and the most extreme left person in the Democratic ranks, both on our committee. And they always voted together for opposite reasons, but it shot down so many bills, you know. Well, mining was something that Joan worked on. Joan was dealing with it on her committee, and then 
I came in and testified and was actually gaveled down by the by the then Senate. It's passionate. Well, he told me to be quiet and sit down, and I told him I would sit down when I was finished, and that didn't go over very well. Interestingly, we became friends the last, I mean, that was was the year before I ran, and then he served one more year as chair of the Environment Committee. Who is this? Would you like to name names? Well, sure. sure. Senator Tom Saviello yeah, from Farmington. We actually a colorful, worked, a colorful character. Yeah, and we actually worked really well together. He was very good at getting people together away from the committee room to try and find agreement. Tom, Tom had 30 Tom, years of history with yeah. the pulp and paper industry, and I had not quite that long, but a long history with NRCM. And on issues like toxic pollution of our rivers, the dioxin, and, and issues like that, we had been pretty much at opposite ends of the poles. There was a bridge to build there, and he was chair of the Environment Committee on which I had hoped to serve during my first term, which was 1718, but that was not to be. There were people in the majority who didn't, I think, want me on that committee. Mm -hmm. But I introduced a mining bill to strengthen Maine's mining laws, and it was absolutely fascinating. Here is Tom, with whom I had fought, in 2015-16 over the mining issue and when I introduced the bill he said well I'd like to be a co-sponsor I paused I checked in with my NRCM colleagues who had done the largest amount of background work because I didn't know well I didn't know this man except really fisticuffs in, in, the, in the committee room, right. adversarially mm-hmm. and and yet he said he really, he wanted a good mining bill. He, so. he wanted a solution, and I, yeah. I really admire Tom yeah. for that. Yeah. He was fair, and he really wanted to find a solution. I don't know why he and I disagreed so thoroughly in 2015. Uh, oh, well, two, I think that was an ego, <laughs> two egos, who knows? Oh, come on, come on, Joe. <laughs> well, anyway, two strong we personalities. Two, thank you. We really, we worked He's, very hard together, and it was the fact that Tom as Republican chair of the Environment Committee and I as a And Ralph liberal. Tucker was in there well, too. Well, absolutely, was, Ralph yeah. who, from Brunswick and who was the House chair. House chair. But it was, Tom brought credibility as someone who had a long and distinguished career in industry and who cared about it and who saw the risks of mining and who yeah. really worked on a on This a is a good example, good I think, of what being a legislator is about. Yeah. I never would have imagined yeah. that Tom Saviello and I would work closely. And be co-chair, co-sponsors. From what I'm hearing you say, it sounds like you learned when you were in the legislature there was a need for compromise and there's a need to pay attention to the context of the issue. What are the different perspectives represented? And so mm-hmm. you were saying that this mining issue is a good example of that. And so I guess I'm trying to understand then what at NRCM prepared you to be able to do those things, to compromise, to be mindful of different perspectives, or what qualities have you seen either in yourself and others that have prepared you to do that? Well, first of all, I think as an advocate, that's kind of what the word means, is you had to advocate for what you absolutely believe is the best thing to do, which is, to me, different than a legislator's responsibility, necessarily. But I think what NRCM does, they're realists, they're pragmatists as well. So, like Plum Creek is an excellent example. They realize that you have to get and persuade all sides, critics perhaps, of what you want as an advocate, to persuade them that what is being proposed is good for them too. 
NRCM began a very conscious effort to discuss the economy and yeah. making sure yeah. that all the proposals had an element in them that talked about the economy and sometimes we don't do that enough as an environmentalist how it's good for the economy. You have to make yourselves relevant particularly if you're in tough economic times if you're not realistic about right. jobs and the health of the state's economy then you can be at the margin. You can advocate as loudly and strongly as you want but you can even be at the margin of the debate. On the other hand when there really are benefits and I think Joan and I would agree that renewable energy is one of the best. You can really make a healthy economy and sustaining jobs, creating more jobs. You can make that at the core. You can put that right at the core of your argument and it's it's very persuasive to do that. As I think it is, I mean open space in the land for Maine's future is another thing. If we if we have parks and we have public lands and we have open space, whether it's, you know, town parks or or state public lands they increase everyone's quality of life and there are all kinds of studies by the land trust which show that if you have open space in a community property values go up it's just like good schools people want to be in a clean environment and near open space and where there are good schools so making those kinds of arguments and building coalitions with other groups I mean, we work with labor Absolutely. more often. Building coalitions is a big part. Yeah. I think the other thing that NRCM taught me was different from Brownie. I didn't come from a policy-making background. I came more from experiential and, and advocacy work. And so I hadn't had any real experience about thinking through policy and so even writing bills, which NRCM does. A lot of A it, lot. Yeah. That really, I think, contributed to my wanting to be in the legislature as being, and I miss that a lot. I miss the policy thinking. One of the great assets, I think, that we've talked about the people of NRCM. Early on in my tenure as executive director, when I saw industry putting science, sometimes not very good science, in front of uh, decision makers and policy makers, thought NRCM ought to have scientists. And we, we've had cooperating pro bono or low-cost scientists who work with his staff scientists right now, Nick Bennett, who's his staff scientist, is just, I mean, he knows so much about river restoration and toxics. He's just, he's such a huge asset for this state. And then you have lawyers and you have advocates who have public policy background or, you know, who maybe don't have advanced degrees, but who come to environmental advocacy with a real breadth of, of perspective. And then, of course, they're the members who make Oh, huge yes. letters to the editor and testifying and emails yeah. are really important getting emails personal emails personal not that not that not what we call the cookie cutters they yeah. drive no. me yeah. crazy me too. yeah and i got to a point late in, in the session where i just stopped answering i mean yeah. you you would get inundated and they just didn't right. they, they they they're not meaningful if somebody hasn't taken the time to yeah. at least put something personal in and i it matters a lot if somebody puts some personal time and, and energy and thought into something. It's much less meaningful. Even if they use the same points but put it in their own words, it makes a big yeah. difference. You know, lobbyists get a very bad rap sometimes, as do well, politicians. Well, some deserve it. Some deserve it, yes. <laughs> but I would say, you know, NRCM does lobbying and, and provide really important scientific information. It was really important to me because... Most legislators don't either have the background or the time to understand and research all of the issues that come before them. And so I think that's such an important role 
I mean, Nick Bennett in our committee, I think, has been a critical part of the legislature for many years, just critically important, to, and especially, well, all of them, but especially mining. I think Nick was so important. Yeah, he really was. In the whole mining. And, and others on the staff. Yeah. Dylan Voorhees on, oh, on, on energy, energy issues. And, and Kathy and, on the Northwoods, Kathy. And, and then Pete Didesheim on such a very broad range of issues. It's, people used to say NRCM is right at the, and they, I'm sure they still do, I'm not in that orbit anymore, but that NRCM is right at the pinnacle of among the best of the state environmental advocacy organizations. And when you have that kind of breadth of skills and going to court when you need to, going to so much work in the legislature. I mean, Joan and I both benefit. I, I should only speak for myself, but NRCM offers information oh, yes. uh, that is that is really hugely valuable in terms of making decisions. And I mean, there are other lobbyists that I would call sometimes too, but I would frequently call someone at NRCM mm-hmm. as the, in, during these last six months as Senate Chair of the Environment Committee saying, well, what about this? Or how do you respond to this? Or or I understand this point, but something right. else you've said is not as is not as clear to me. And we're dealing with what they call I think it's forever toxins. Now. I mean, things oh, like yes. the PFAS contaminants that are that are in municipal sewage sludge, and the health of our kids, the long-term health of of Maine. And we have to get it right. We have to build in what I would call a margin of, of safety. And sometimes that's tough for the people who make their living creating this composted sludge and putting it on the market. We can't go down a path that would be very difficult to return from. And so it sounds like there is, from a legislator's point of view, a real need for advocates and fact-based information. And looking at it from the other perspective, what advice would you give to advocates now that you have served as a legislator? Give us good information that we can rely on because credibility is Good information and credibility are two sides of the same coin, and if a legislator finds out that somebody has slanted the truth a bit, that lobbyist might just as well pack up and, and go home. Mm-hmm. That's a, the credibility is hugely important. Be responsive when a legislator asks, and that's true for citizen activists too. Uh, Maddie Daughtry, who is a local legislator, very high energy, dedicated, woman whose other life is in Moderation Brewing, which is a new uh, small craft brewer downtown. Joan spoke of mining earlier and how many times it had been back to the legislature. Maddie had introduced in each of her four terms, she's now in her fourth, a bill to ban coal tar sealants Sealants, for parking lots and and streets and so forth. Uh, coal tar is a carcinogenic, it's really nasty substance that has both some human health effects and particularly toxic effects on, a, on aquatic species. Each and every time the coal tar industry, I mean, they flew people up to, or drove them up, you know, to say this is, and they, this year they had two toxicologists. And we couldn't find, a, the state toxicologist didn't want to speak to it, and the NRCM staff scientist, whom we've talked about, you know, knew a little bit about it, and finally I threw Ralph Tucker, co-chair, who knows a retired Bowdoin chemistry professor who's done a lot of work in this field, and we asked him if he would review the testimony and write a letter um, 
and he did. His comments were the scientific rationale about why this material should in fact be banned. So we lengthened what I would call the phase-out period, the period before it can't be sold in commerce. Interestingly, we were able to use the fact that the big box stores, that neither Home Depot nor Lowe's, nor I think it's Ace Hardware, would sell this stuff anymore because it was toxic. And so we said, why? Why would we want to continue to allow something to be sold in Maine that the large lumber yards and so forth wouldn't? And so we finally got it through, and this professor helped, and it was Maddie's persistence, and it was having other people come and say, you know, we just we just need to do this. Yeah. That's another good point for advocates is don't give up. I mean, we had that bill for three of my four sessions, and, and the fourth time it came around, you got it right. But a lot of the problems for our committee was the small businesses who came in, which is always a strong voice in the legislature. Right. If it hurts a small business, there's a lot of sympathy for helping, and, and for good reason. They're struggling. But, you know, this session... Not one individual small business really? came in. Not one came in and testified. Really? They're the Coal Tar Sealant Association, which I think is based in, that may not be the formal name, based in Washington, D.C., sent a couple of toxicologists up, but no, okay. no one came from, so from the community good. in Maine. And I think that, that was a message to some legislators who were skeptical, but who heard from. Yeah. And I didn't get any letters from anybody in the asphalt paving or sealant business. And I believe I still would have voted to ban, but it was very different not hearing from real people in the business. But I do think things in the legislature take years to happen, many, many times. Well, especially in terms of environmental issues, a governor and, and an administration that is not necessarily supportive, just not supportive. So don't give up. Yeah, persistence really is a hallmark of environmental advocacy. And the legislature, it takes, it's very slow to make really good progress. And I think a lot of advocates lose heart over that. I mean, that was true in domestic violence, too. I mean, it still is a huge problem, but at least there's some acknowledgement about it, where in 1979, 1981, no one even would agree that that was necessarily a problem. So... It's slow, and it can be really discouraging. So I think it's really important that you're in for the long haul. And it's a a life of working for issues that you care about, I think. Joan and I have both been at this for a long time, and it's going to take everybody to stay in environmental advocacy to take care of this state. Working in coalition with the other environmental organizations is really important, too. And I think NRCM does a great job of working with the you know conservation voters and, and form this There's coalition. There's the Environmental Priorities Coalition, right. which right. is a very, it's 28 or yeah. 29 organizations. And that is now. really important when right. you get a group. And they agree. They spend time every yeah. fall or late summer trying yeah. to think what are the priorities for that. And coalition. I, think, that makes I it think I brought that notion back from a National League oh, of Conservation right. Voters meeting in Colorado where somebody suggested... You've got to get the environmental groups together because if we're splintered, we're a lot less strong. That's right. The it takes a village it does. phrase has stuck with me, mm. uh, I think, as the hallmark of really strong, successful environmental advocacy, bringing every mm-hmm. interest that we can enlist to the table. Was there a moment that you thought, yeah, this is why I'm here, this is amazing, you know, why you do the work that you do? Being part of the legislature and making good environmental policy, it's a wonderful thing, and it's very gratifying. 
but in my years at NRCM, probably the moment that is most vivid in my memory is watching the coffer dam that was built mm -hmm. when part of the Edwards Dam was actually taken out in advance of the bell ringing to signal the end of the Edwards Dam and the revival, the rest restoration of the Kennebec River. Laws can be made, they can be changed, they can be repealed. Restoring or taking a dam, it's obviously conceivable that a dam could come out, but watching the recovery of that river and watching the alewives and the salmon swim back and knowing that environmental progress has cleaned up the river, strong environmental laws, investment by industry and municipalities in the state to bring us cleaner water, and then to see the fish, to see the alewives and the salmon back, yeah. particularly the alewives when they get up to the Lockwood Dam at Waterville or now they're going up the Sebastocook River. It's that kind of experience where all kinds of people work together. Um, not so much the legislature actually, but the governor and the uh, fish and wildlife agencies and yeah. environmental organizations and the municipality. Native Americans, same, right. yeah, the yeah, same thing with the, the, the legislature helps set a tone but the NGO community, like NRCM, has a big influence uh, over that tone. And to watch a river reborn, which is what we used to say about the Kennebec, those visuals, those things that you can actually touch, like fish in the water, that's, that's really remarkable. That's a beautiful example. What moved me a lot was celebrating with my committee over some things we'd come together on that were hard work. There was a card that was given to me that I think applies to all of this is the reward of a job well done is to have done it. You do it and it's hard sometimes and you sit through these... And you wonder if you'll ever get there. Long. Exactly. Quite honestly, I would say for me, seeing that mining bill pass and seeing the plastic bag ban pass, seeing those things happen after eight years of working on them yeah. is wonderful to me. It just keeps you believing. You know, you don't stop believing. Thank you to Joan Welsh and Brownie Carson for joining our show, and most importantly, for your lifetime of environmental advocacy with NRCM at the State House and beyond. To listen to more episodes, please visit our website at nrcm.org and subscribe to our show on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or Google Play. Thanks again for listening.